Greetings and salutations, everybody. It's time for another episode of Bald and Bingeable. I'm D'Angelo, and I'm here to take you through an auditory journey through all things in pop culture that you consume. The stuff you are insatiable for. The stuff you find truly bingeable. Okay, so you guys, I had the chance to sit down with Love Connie for this episode. And we got way too carried away. Our ADD took us on a trip. And we ended up sitting down for two hours. So you guys are only going to get part one of that interview today. And make sure that you guys like and subscribe to Bald and Bingeable wherever you listen to podcasts. And this way you guys can get part two. Okay, before I hit you guys with part one of my interview with Love Connie, let's talk about friends. I've gotten some DMs, I've gotten some text messages, people are watching it. I did sit down and watch it. It is two hours long, you guys, so I had to like do it in like two different sittings because that's a lot to dedicate to them right now. I was a big fan of friends when I was younger. They were part of something that I think kind of shaped my sitcom watching habits and they were one of the first dvds i owned as well so i would say that like uh friends queer as folk and like sex in the city were my personal like first binges got those dvds from blockbuster video and would watch them so remember blockbuster video Mm. now we just stream everything from like our home wherever we want when we want how we want it grr (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Friends. Okay, so they did this reunion. At the beginning, they do this whole set reveal. So half of it is like interviews, kind of them on the stage. And then the other half is the Friends in a live studio audience with James Gordon. Okay, so as they have them all coming in one by one to see the old set, it's set up exactly how it used to be. It looks amazing. Um, and haven't there always been rumors about like somebody took home the orange couch and blah, 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 blah. So like some pieces, you know, that they had to like recreate. And then they do point that out too with like a cookie jar later on that, that uh, Courtney Cox reveals to you. But anyways, like all the episodes and all the props, they all had all these stories attached to them. And so that's like all those memories start hitting you as you're like watching it. And plus, we've been watching these shows, I think, you know, like once a year whenever you go home for christmas it's always going to be on tv friends is kind of like in the zeitgeist of what pop culture is right now so that's why we got to talk about it okay so this wasn't what i wanted i wanted to know what ross and rachel were doing now i wanted to see like more into the future if that's what we're going to be doing with the friends but they gave us this nice little two-hour special i'm not exactly sure who it was for what was a cash grab for everybody is still doing very very well Um, but you know, we've seen all the people around, we've seen all the players around separately. We know Jennifer Aniston is doing the morning show and she's got everything going on for her. David Schwimmer, you know, we've seen her around LA rolling his eyes when girls call him Ross. And we also have Matthew Perry who sends cringy video messages to potential booty calls. Mm, Look up the things you guys Google it. It's so cringy. Yikes. Okay. P.S. Like Matthew Perry, I've also heard him say like, oh, he doesn't remember like two years of shooting this because Remember, he had that whole, um, he had an addiction issue in the past. Why are we talking about it? Like, mm, so thing. I don't know why everything I feel like I'm going to get canceled for these days. Okay. But anyways, so uh, Matthew Perry had that whole issue with the pills back and he can't remember two seasons of it. And so like this whole entire time I'm watching this in the beginning, I'm like, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Do you remember this, Matthew? Do you remember this? And it's like, if you haven't watched in the past 20 years, like I have the DVDs. I can lend them to you, bro. They're in my garage. Okay, so they flash to the live show that's happening with James Corden. And when James Corden appears, I'm like, ugh. You guys, when I was in Vegas recently, I was walking past the Gucci store over there in the Bellagio. And this sounds so gross. Like, it's disgusting. It's Vegas. It's not, like, a big deal. But anyways, um, James Corden is on one of the big, like, walls right there. And it's him and Dakota Johnson. And they're in an ad together for Gucci. And he looks so buh and she looks like hi genetics have done me well (laughs) um i mean her mom's melanie griffin come on working girl get those jeans okay but james corden just like sitting there looking all dead-eyed and like he just like took a duke in his pants like i just i don't know anyways they show james he's all short in his electric cranberry gucci suit and he announces them and they all walk out kind of hand in hand and the personal memories all start flooding back like 
who I watch episodes with, my cousins at my house, theater kids in the dorm rooms, my apartment in Park Slope. It's like swoosh, so many memories. Is that how all have you been? Like, I'm just wondering, is that, am I the only person who was like that? But I mean, like, you know, they were like 10 years, so they kind of spanned some, some time there. So watching them all walk out, and it was almost like, oh my God, I remember when the friends owned the world, you guys. They were cash cows making millions as a group, and they were going to be what every ensemble show was compared to from then on. Like, remember when Happy Endings came out? It was like Friends, but they added a gay guy and a brother. Like, they, it was just like the cast of Friends did that. So when James read off the stats, it was like 236 episodes, 25 million viewers a week. Now a million views per over streaming and I'm thinking, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Oh, my God. You guys remember ka-ching, like those old commercials? Okay, if you are too young for the ka-ching commercials, please just look those up. They have to come back at some point. Anyways, they were money, and they still are. Okay, so, like, really, why are they doing this whole, like, reunion? It's, it's, is it truly for the fans? Okay, anyways, they're on the set. Their co-mingling is so wonderful. The chemistry is all back, and I'm like, give them a freaking script. Phoebe does Smelly Cat. OMG, Gaga shows up and it feels awkward. And then you realize they're both a little bit nervous with this moment. And then you remember that Kudrow has joined Gaga on stage when Gaga was touring before. Okay. So that's something that's in my, like that was weird files in my mind. Um, okay. So those two are like friends, but okay. So let's like deviate real quickly. So uh, I used to manage a waxing salon in the West Village across the street from Magnolia Bakery before Mark Jacobs took over that whole block. Okay. It was called Eve. It's still kicking in a new location. So if you like waxing, they're like the premier place to get waxing. Okay, then this is an ad for them, and I don't even work for them anymore, but they really were the place to go get your Brazilian wax or whatever else. And men, quick quick back waxes and all that kind of thing. Never will do that again in my life. But if you do that sort of thing, that's for you, go. Anyways, that was a long ad for Eve Salon. Um, okay, so... There was this one lady who could do like full leg in Brazilian in like 20 minutes. Well, I had these CD mix that, you know, it was right before iPods. I would say like 2004-ish. I would curate these mixes of like pop music, oldies, world, random fun TV and novelty songs. And I put like Smelly Cat on a mix with like Sia and Imogene Heap and like uh, I want to say it was like Adele when she first came out. Like that's that's this time. And so I put Smelly Cat on this mix. It was fun. You know, friends had been off the air, you know, for like a year. And people were like a little bit. And we were in New York. And it just kind of felt like very New York to have this song on there. And I will stand by the fact that Smelly Cat is a good song. It's got a melody. It's got a hook. And everybody knows it, you know. So, uh, well, this Polish woman, Elizabeth, who was one of the estheticians who would do some of the waxing. And so she was doing a Brazilian wax. And she told this woman to put her legs in a figure four, which is just just to sway, you know, have one leg outstretched, the other one. You bend at the knee and you kind of bring your foot to the leg. So your legs make a four and it kind of gives you a little bit more access to the esthetician. I'm giving a lot of information here to, you know, your crotch so the woman can can. Uh, wax you well when she tells this woman to put her legs in a figure four phoebe starts up smelly cat smelly cat (laughs) and elizabeth ran out of the room after this had happened and she was telling me like oh my god that song we have to take it off of there i made eye contact with that woman as they started saying smelly cat and her pussies in my hands okay anyways that was a little story let's keep on going (laughs) Back to friends. They talk about watching the show now, and that must be so surreal. That's what my thoughts are on it, because it's like they enjoy each other more. They touch on so much of the best episodes that prove that they were like physical comedy pros. They talk about the leather pants, David Schwimmer, like what happened? Like, why didn't this man work more? I understand that he was like a serious actor and wanted to be like on a theater stage and everything, but bro, it wasn't popping off and you have a knack for being physical, like go and do that. But 
yet again, they have all this money, so they do what they want to do. I get it. Okay, so I crave the Pat Falls, though. I really do. I crave, like, the fun stuff from him. But anyways, uh, Maggie Wheeler, she shows up, you know, Janice with the laugh and the voice, and Chandler and Janice. I can't do it, but anyways, she's magical, that woman. Okay, so they kept showing Matthew Perry, and I really want him to be well, you guys. Then they brought out Gunther, James Michael Tyler, on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like he couldn't come to the come to the house. I mean, like, what's going on with him? They rushed him as they like rushed him through his like little segment, and it was just like he was on that show for ten years. Give him some more, man. I wanted to hear more of his stuff, so I got to look for his things. I'm gonna do some research on that man. Anyways, Ross and Rachel. That's hard. We're actually into each other, you guys. The first year they felt it and the timing was just never right. So they channeled it into the work. Hmm, that's really great. So Courtney loved the first kiss. They talked about that. They went into the whole first kiss scene. Uh, and then they actually were showing them because they were doing these scenes that they would cross hatch where this the cast was reading old scripts together. So they actually read the first kiss and it was like they would flash from the show that we can see on TV, on TBS this weekend, and then also the show that you are watching them redo these scripts. And Jennifer Aniston has, like, glasses on, and it was just... uh, David Schwimmer is reading the scenes and, like, looking at them, and it was just like, oh, I'm a little bit emotional. I didn't realize how much this affected me. The two of them. And then I was just like are you guys both single right now? Because like, be like Ashton and Mila from that 70s show. Get it together now. I'm into it. Are you into it? We're all into it. Let this happen. Because if everything else is going to be rebooted right now, if we have a new Benefer with J-Lo and Ben Affleck 2.0, I mean, you guys, he is changing. Like, Ben Affleck is right now on the up and up with J- with J-Lo. Like, something is happening. I think I even mentioned in this episode with Love Connie, like that tattoo is slowly fading away. Okay. Anyways, so the Ross and Rachel of it all, it was just like, you know, get them together. Okay. So they'll go into more guest stars, fashion show of looks. Justin Bieber was there. Cindy Crawford looked amazing. Cara Delevingne was there. She did walk twice. Um, Matt came out in all of Chandler's clothes. And that really brought out a lot more memories because, I mean, the episode of Can We Be Wearing Any More Clothes? That was one of the first seasons. And it was that episode where they were all together. It was a capsule show and they were all in the same apartment. And it was so magical. And that's what's so great about this show. So anyways, um, loved it, loved it, loved it. So they ended up showing, like, all the bloopers. And I was like, I own the DVDs, you guys. Show me something else. Show me more. (laughs) Uh, the end of the show, when they wrapped, they all hugged. And just thinking, like, Hollywood was harsh. The night that they wrapped up, they just, like, struck the set. They were like, oh, see you guys later. The new show's coming in tomorrow. Hopefully it's a hit. And it probably wasn't. I want to know what show was going in. But was it that weird, like, coupling? Remember they tried to make that happen right at the end there? They tried to bring that UK series coupling, which was great. If you can watch that old thing. I think it's on um, Netflix right now. But coupling the american one was terrible and i think it might have been in that same space anyways um they gave us the reasons why they aren't rebooting basically because all the stories have been wrapped up tightly with a bow and they're all happy endings and they would have to unravel happy endings to redo them again plus i just think it just people don't want to pay them each six million dollars per episode and all that kind of thing even though with the way that their streams are going it would be Anyways, um, the cast gives our thoughts on what the characters are probably doing now. And then they play like this very melodramatic, I'll be there for you. It was orchestral. It was it was all a bit much. And then all I could think of is as they're showing all these old videos was like they were so cool. I remember being in college and like we would run to like the dorms and watch like friends. And then everybody would base like kind of like their look and their fashion and everything else off of friends. So it had a place. It was great. It was what it was. And it's one of those things that I can always go back and watch an old episode. You know, it was problematic in some ways, but at the same time, I completely appreciate it. Okay, so that's it. But I was just kind of thinking, you know, is this the last time we're ever going to hear them as a group be announced as the cast of Friends? 
that's a little bit like, mm. but then I remember like they got all that money. They're fine. Thank you guys so much for indulging me into my thoughts about friends. Let's get into my interview with Love Connie. Here we go. Enjoy the show. Please. Open your ears and give a warm welcome to our scene-stealing, high-kicking, drag-dancing guest, Love Connie. Hello, Love Connie. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi. Applause, applause, applause. I know, I got, I'll insert that because we are right now, we are, uh, it's the weekend, you guys, and so we're just chilling. And so we're having a nice little morning tete-a-tete. And this is the first time I've really gotten to talk to you, Love Connie. And we I know we've lurked each, on each other's socials for a little while. So this is exciting for me. Yes, we're definitely not friends. <laughs> not at all. Like, I just, like, <laughs> um, there she is. Rude. We're fast friends. The world is opening up. And so are my legs and everything else. And so I will be seeing you in L.A. soon. Yeah, um, I hope so. Yeah. Just wanting to talk to Love Connie. You know, you guys have seen her... <laughs> Season 11 of Drag Race stole the show over on WOW presents with the Connie Wood. And then you also know, love Connie, from films like Legally Blonde, Nick and Nora, which I actually rewatched last night and I like forgot how fun. Like your Christmas outfit is kind of what inspired a lot of my Christmas go-go looks. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yes. Yeah. You can never go wrong with the Santa's hat. Like not with the Santa's hat or some LeMay and striped leggings. Like you just like go with it. And the little go-go, the little vinyl go-go boots, you know, because they're always either in red, white, or black. And that's, you know, so your perfect little Mrs. Claus, little go-go. You'll have to be Mrs. Claus this year. Gonna, we'll just I get might. you some little we'll get you some little glasses little round spectacles like are you harry potter and you're like no i miss the scoco claws i will do that like and I, I need the little wig though like if i'm doing it i'm gonna wear the wig and just get really overheated i've always so i've been wondering like where did love connie come from well love connie was the name of the first uh show that i did after i was in this group a comedy group called the Nellie Olsons, which I had been doing. I started in New York and which is in a way what brought me out to LA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as sketch comedy goes, you know, people are, are always like, Ooh, what characters do you have? Like, what have you written? And I, at that point in New York was basically a chorus boy, you know, who had also, there were a lot of like gay plays, in the mm -hmm. West Village or East Village, like independent things. So there was tons of that. So I felt like that's kind of because my voice wasn't really big enough. And I also wasn't trained, a trained dancer. Mm -hmm. So I kind of got lost in Broadway auditions. I would always get lumped in with dancers because because that big booty, you uh -huh. know, and uh, <laughs> I just kind of well, and I carried myself as a dancer. They just you know, yeah, what I mean, it's, I wasn't going to be a lead. I wasn't going to be a leading man. Like maybe I could have, you know, I could have passed as a brother in seven brides for seven <laughs> brothers, but even that would have been dancing, like super athletic dancing that I, I again, you've seen me dance. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a shimmy shaker, mm -hmm. you know, and I've got good extension, but that's because, you know, I was a girl, I was, a, you know, an old aerobics instructor all my life. So I, I fool people. People think I'm a, uh -huh. a better dancer than I am, but I didn't have any training. So when I joined this comedy group and they said, what characters do you have? I just was like, um, oh, Connie, uh, Connie, she's this pageant girl. Because I remembered <laughs> in college, me, I went to college and I grew up in Louisiana and I went to a Southern Baptist college. And, uh, okay. you know, once you start going out, finding the local gay bar and then you meet your true family or your true crowd your people Some your of tribe. The first your people yeah yeah because <clears throat> up until then it was just like you know you're immersed in the church you know because they don't want you to be gay and you want to suppress all that you're trying to figure out who you are so those first relationships with guys that i had just met because they were gay guys at the gay bar well mm -hmm. we would all get together and we would imitate 
as we do down south, uh, beauty pageant contestants. And I always was, I've all, and we'll, I've always liked underdogs. So when I would go see local pageants in Louisiana, now we had pageant titles. Now I'm not kidding you. Here's some of the pageant titles. Okay. There's Miss Smith, <laughs> Miss Stock Show. Uh, <laughs> there, there is Miss Blanchard Pope Salad. Blanchard there, Pope you know, Salad. Got, it's it's a real salad. Uh huh. It's, it's like, have you ever had like congealed salad, like those weird salads with marshmallows, like the, the gelatin, and orange slice. Yeah. yeah, like shit like that. Now, ambrosia. <laughs> Ambro- I know. I had some ambrosia not, not long ago, and it was actually quite delicious. You know what I, I mean? I grew up in the Midwest. Um, so, and the Oh, East you did? Coast, yeah, yeah. I, grew up, I grew up Ohio and New York City. Like, and so I remember an ambrosia salad. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a, marshmallows are a food staple where you're from. That, yes, they are. <laughs> yes. Fluff <laughs> uh, in the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> uh so there were always you know when you would go to local pageants like miss stock show or something like that there would be the typical very very beautiful you know high school girls but then there would always be like this one real country girl whose hair wasn't quite right and her dress was the wrong color for her complex you know what i mean and as a young gay man of course you know how am i going to be in the closet when i'm literally you know judging an underdog in a beauty pageant going i can i can build her better (laughs) so so uh we used to just make up stuff and i would make up you know stupid hi i'm connie slocum it's cajun inbred i love children (laughs) you know so that's what i proposed to the nelly olsons as my character and apparently after i left the meeting and mind you, John Epperson, who is the drag queen Lip Sinka, uh-huh. who's a very famous drag queen, he was directing that show. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were like, well, what do you think of him? And I believe one said he's either going to be brilliant or he's going to be absolutely insane. And I, I hope that I am equal parts. I think that um, makes the that. best people. Yeah, like, like, that's like yeah. the best like makeup of people is like when you have like this brilliant and you also have this unabandoned and that you go full hard and like <clears throat> believe in everything you're doing because that's what's so good to watch. I need to back up for yeah. a second. The Nelly Olsons, and then it just hit me. I'm, yes. like, I'm like, my family has carpet. That's what I think first when I hear <laughs> Nelly Olson. <laughs> <laughs> and so and i, I was know, like why do i know nelly olsen i'm like little house <sighs> in the prairie okay so they're putting that like and it was just you gave us a lot of really good stuff here <laughs> like just my mind is popping off from this from the pageant well you know qu- quarantine i it really allowed me to uh, not only finally organize a drag closet <laughs> you know <laughs> but to really or just organize your memories and your thoughts and your fan you know what i mean and i kind of pulled everything and started putting everything in order so i think everything is just kind of all these stories are very fresh you know in my mind and also i just watched the first episode of that pride series on fx about the 50s they go through each decade i haven't started Um, yet well you really all i really think every you know Millennial Gen Gen Z, you have to watch this because it's. I'm really impressed, mm-hmm. and uh, it's brilliantly done because it deals with gay in the '50s and then racism and the politics and the, just everything, and and it's really deep and fascinating, and and will help us all understand why we do what we do and why we are the way we are. Is it is so. it documentary? Is it dramatization? It's 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 both, which is what also makes it interesting is that there are some good monologues that are filmed with actors playing the the parts of the people, you know, as if they Uh were in the 50s. And so it kind of brings it all really it's well produced. Uh, Christine Vachon, Killer Films, produced it. Which brings us back to New to New York in the nineties. <laughs> you grew up down south, Southern Southern Baptist, that whole situation. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the church too, so I know that oppression. And then you find yourself like in those gay spaces. Like I, I fl- flocked over to like hairdressing studios and things. You know, like I'll sleep. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, and you went into the pageant oh, it's so world. cool. Yeah. But but you at pageant. Well, world. I went into I. <laughs> 
I didn't really do. No, I just loved pageants. I more went into, well, I, uh, yeah, like local stuff, but I never went to like Miss Texas, but I wound up in Dallas, Texas after graduating. And um, there used to be this thing called the SETC and then Mm -hmm. there'd be the North NETC. And it was like Southeastern theater conference, Northeastern theater conference. So the United States was cut in quads And you would all your colleges, if you were a theater kid back in college, or I was a music student, so I was more of a singer. Uh, Again, there you go. Another weird weird thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, you would all go and audition and then all of the regional theaters from, you know, mine would have been like from Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana and Texas. So I wound up in Texas doing summer stock. And that's where your whole like. That's when I knew officially. I mean, I was already dating guys in college I by my sophomore year because the rumors had already gone around the college that I was. You, you can't hide out. And the smart girl, like I, I ran into, uh, I performed in Texas for the first time um, in 2019, right before COVID. And it was also the first time that any family member of mine had ever seen me as Connie or anything like that. Uh-huh. And I ran into an old... Uh, girl a girl that i did theater with and she was like you do remember the first day we met in in the girls dorm at cottingham and she goes i was asking you if you were gay because i was certain you were gay and you were like no 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 (laughs) no 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 i am not gay no 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 and then she I, I, i and i didn't remember that and but she did and now I do remember it. I remember <laughs> she was she was coming at me in the most genuine, real way. But because I was at a Southern Baptist, I felt like it could have been a. I didn't know what it was, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that was interesting to hear that. Uh, third, God, thirty years later after yeah. being yeah. there, yeah. So, so yeah. And you'll love this. The first time I ever got my ass eaten was at the Granbury Opera House dormitory in Granbury, Texas, which was south of Fort Worth. And that was also another just one of those things where, you know, your whole sexual experience, because the first couple of guys (laughs) that I dated in Louisiana um they didn't you know i remember being really interested in ass and you know wanting to mm-hmm. go down there this isn't a children's show is it not even not even i was gonna say <laughs> no i had I like shock i don't want to shock stuff you of all people i'm joking i see all your tiktoks and it's <laughs> just about ass douching yes. um but i remember the costume was the, co- the costume <laughs> designer uh so Here's to costume designers, and I've always loved costume designers, but let's just say costume designers really know how to eat ass because I was like, okay, this is it. You, oh, but the, the, were you the in a fitting? Guys, they, was this a fitting? No, 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 no. It was, I think like... we, it, it was just one of those like post-show drunken, like everybody, okay. would, the boss would bring out a box of Franzia wine. That was also, I feel like when box wine was invented, because I don't ever remember seeing boxed wine, but Juice it would be boxes. in the middle of the stage, <laughs> a wine box. Um, but I yeah, so all, all that stuff was really, really fun. But then, you know, uh, but I was just going to say like, in Louisiana, like down there, they would be like, that's nasty. <laughs> and that then they'd ass, be secretly doing it. Yeah. Well, you know, just it's, it's, oh, please. I had a friend of mine, he was gay, 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 but, you know, sexually was just still like, and, and I remember asking him one time, I was like, you don't eat ass. And he was like, John, oh my God. He goes, it was just hard enough for me to just get a dick in my mouth. I am not about to go. And of course he's saying this in a really Southern accent. So, <laughs> you, you know, if you've ever met a Texas queen or a Dallas girl, you know, that's just who they are. They're, you know, you just remind like me those of housewives of Dallas. They're, they're, they're really dirty when they get going, but <gasps> no, I have never. He got his dick sucked at the roundup. <laughs> <laughs> he gets his dick sucked at the roundup. I know the guys that did it. <laughs> oh, I miss her. I what a Looney Tune. She, oh it's my like, God. She's actually 
Oh shit! Paid Hold some on. penance. I have to. Um, there it is. Oh, I know. I've got to get my battery plugged in because I just got a low thing. Hold on. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You talk. You talk about Leanne as we pin, as we pinball. Oh yeah. <laughs> through pop culture. <laughs> so Leanne. Okay. So I'm loving this so much because Love Connie is my type of people because we both have this tinge of ADD. I feel it. So okay. So the whole Leanne Locken sort of a thing. So you guys, Real Housewives of Dallas, Leanne Locken. She was a character on there that will never. She really was the glue that held that show together for a minute here, and she for also for a second. Yeah, and the show's but not going to be the same. She's also a veteran. Yeah. Well, she's a veteran. They're doing good, though. No, I think Dallas Housewives is doing good because they have to be called out for like, look, like all Southerners, you know, white Southerners of which I am, you know, I grew up in a really segregated hometown that, you know, there was integration. But there, as we finally know now, you know, there are ways around you know, no. when when white parents when white parents don't want their white kids to go to school with any kids of color, whether it's, you know, black, uh, brown, whatever, mm-hmm. um, they'll find a way to, you know, keep them segregated. You know, yeah. it was just simple as that, you know. So, yeah, Leanne uh, and poor Leanne. Well, the thing about Leanne is Leanne. This is not that was not her first time at the rodeo. You know, she was on a modeling reality show, which was like America's. It was called You Got the Look. And it was hosted by Kim Alexis, one of my very favorite supermodels. And when I say supermodels, I'm talking about a 70s supermodel, not these 90s girls. Not these 90s girls. Like a Gia Karangi. We're talking about. (laughs) Yes, yes. Gia Karangi, Margot Hemingway, Janice Dickinson, Jerry Hall. That's like the real glamour. Cheryl. Well, they, you can't have a supermodel of the 90s without those girls. And you got to remember, Margot Hemingway uh, was the first model to get a million-dollar contract. So, again, you know, Miss Evangelist and I don't get out of bed for less than 30000 a day or whatever that was. The 10, 10K. Speaking was- of, and now I've gotten us back to New York in the 90s. How about that yeah. with the Linda Evangelista ref? reference absolutely so so you get to new york you join the nelly olsons love connie is now a show that you do she's she's a care yeah i did a running care what i did was okay here's the weird thing about the nelly olsons i was also thinking about this how i kind of co-opted another guy's bit Mm -hmm. but you kind of realize that these are kind of universals for for gay men everywhere i think we all think like this so with sketch comedy and with comedy in general, even though I'm not a trained comedian either, mm-hmm. uh, but people that do improv and, you know, sketch like at the Groundlings or whatever, um, know these things. But, you know, comedy is best in threes, you know, when mm-hmm. you're dealing with things. So the Nelly Olsons, we would always have uh, sketches that would be revisited, you know, throughout the show, usually in threes. So Connie would start out in evening gown, you know what I mean? And, and would come to that microphone and she would deliver her whole state mission statement as a pageant girl. And mine was all about loving all kinds of children, black, white, brown, red, everything. But then I plan to major in fashion. You know, it was something just <laughs> up. And literally that's the only thing I ever wrote. And uh, Terrence Michael and Nora Burns were the writers and they kind of wrote everything. And he was, uh, went to Yale. She went to Columbia and I went to a Southern Baptist college in Louisiana. <laughs> so I was just, you need that high low all- though. You need the high it, low. Exactly. Yeah. For good exactly. comedy. Um, and we all, the great thing about the three of us, because the, I had seen them uh, a year before I joined um, and they had six people and it was people, you know, like, uh, Julie Wheeler, Maggie, Maggie Moore, um, um, uh, all these people. And there was a guy who did what I did. He, uh, did this Hawaiian pageant contestant and he did this three thing where it was like evening gown and interview, then do a talent. And then just at the very end, have her cry and give her some flowers. So that was basically Connie. But then once I got really, you know, we started performing a lot and we actually got a lot of attention, but we were just really, things were already getting politically correct in the 90s. So we weren't at all. And you probably, uh, 
it would be so interesting to see. I don't think people would uh, appreciate a lot of what we did. Uh-huh. The heart's always in the right place, and good writing is just good writing. And they were really good writers. Like you know, Terrence really wrote sketches great, and Nora was a brilliant monologuist as far as a woman's view of the gay community, which she was always immersed in and um, always identified with. And also I got, um, because they were writing specifically for me, once we got out to LA and then I started going through the whole audition circuit out here and also trying to find other live performers to play with, mm-hmm. I realized that it was difficult. And because I had people writing for me, that I realized I wasn't writing. And I always felt, I, you know, still to this day feel very intimidated around, you know, other people that are really good writers because I'm like this interview, I'm kind of all over the place. So yeah. if you can hard, you know, but luckily we all had this exact same sensibility. If we saw someone show and we didn't like it, usually the three of us, we, we would always laugh at the, you know, just like always together. So the comedy worked brilliantly, but we scared everybody, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we did really good. LA really loved us and they had interviews with every network and straight, awesome. straight white guys, you know, they weren't they ready get for, it. I mean, like when we look at stuff like kids in the hall now, you know, or you like, even like the Tracy Ullman show, if you watch some of those old things, you're like, yeah. Oh, this is not politically correct, but it had a moment in time in history and it was funny. And I think that, also our sentiments and what we now can accept are a little bit different. I've just, that's, it's weird because I actually had a question here for you. And so we're going to bounce around in this interview because I, because you had talked about, um, I sent you some questions before the interview. Now I'm, I'm going to be in the ADD space. And one of the things that you said that you watch like some of like the documentaries and one of the ones that I had recently finished was Alan V. Farrow. It's over on HBO mm-hmm. Max. You guys can catch up on that. It's Woody Allen versus Via Farrow. The whole situation with, the abuse that happened in the house and, and all those sorts of things. And like, where do you sit on that edge of like the cancel culture? Because you have somebody who has created some really great art. I mean, Woody Allen. Oh, was. some of my favorite movies yeah. are Woody Allen movies. You and can't was, take that away. He from was New artist. York. He was New York. Like he gave the voice for New York. I think he set a precedent for a lot of, a lot of comedies happen now, theater, mm-hmm. how it's written, you know, so you can't take that away from, th- from the art and from with a culture, but then you have the person that you have to kind of remove. Well, I, I sit in the fact in the place where for most people, it's just going to be a personal choice. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like uh, a Peter, you know, the film exists. Um, now with can let's say if he was working on a film now and he was employing hundreds of people, you know what I mean? You got to look at it that way. Like films are created by committees, you know, Thousands. it's not just yeah. Woody doing everything, you know, and also it's not fair to cancel Woody Allen movies or Roman Polanski movies or whoever Harvey Weinstein uh, or something yeah. or something. Oh my God. I mean, could you imagine the nineties um, or even I mean... <laughs> like, or even like, okay, Michael, Michael Richards, you know, when he was like, he went off and was, you know, from Seinfeld saying the yeah. N word at the lap laugh factory. Yeah. You're not going to watch Seinfeld. You know what I mean? However, you know, I, <laughs> even, even though I didn't burn my Berlin CDs, uh, it did. It pissed me off, you know, like uh, at New Year's Eve when all the gays, ooh, the gays got hot on Terry Nunn and, for performing at uh, Mar-a-Lago and fucking Taylor, Taylor Dane, Dane, you know, and it's performs just at that every thing pride. Where, <laughs> like I, I know. And the thing is, is like I'm looking at it from a no, 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 not at this time now. No, it's, no, he's hurt. almost, you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, uh, why, why? It's like, we've all, you know, and you go, we've always employed, you know, but again, as a gay artist who works with, I know they ain't making that much money and they mm-hmm. probably have to beg, you know, to get something from a gay promoter and you have to look at it like, uh, how much money were they offering? That's the other part of it. So like, okay, I'm completely- Maybe I could go perform and then, you know, leave a turd in the bathtub. You know what I mean? There are things you can do. There's, I think that- 
it just it's one of those things that you have to kind of like how do you correct the act you know what i mean because the thing is is and like and what your threshold is my me personally i think that that was one of those things that you know uh, i do corporate entertainment that's where my life is that's where my that's where mm-hmm. i make my bread and butter in, in real life you know i do the nightlife mm-hmm. stuff and i do all this extra fun um things but so I make my money off of booking artists like Taylor Dane for a corporate concert for, you know, accountants that are going to be at the San Diego Convention Center. And so, and I know her, I know her agent, I, I work with them. And so this happened in, in, uh, you know, a couple, you know, a couple of months ago. And then now all of a sudden pride is now rolling back around the world is opening back up. And so then when I say, Hey, do you have any artists that we can feature for a corporate event or for a local pride, blah, blah, blah. And they offer you a Taylor Dane, you know, or a Terry to like come and do a speech or to come and do a set and now nobody wants them. It's like just their persona. Well, why do you think she's going to come out on stage and they're going to be like, fuck you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or would that be an opportunity where maybe Taylor or Terry could be like, guys, here's the reality. And maybe she can explain herself, you know? Yeah. Uh, Again, that just, do we want to be forgiving or do we want to, I, I would just rather, listen, I, like I say, uh, religion is not for me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I learned in the religion I grew up, I still basically try to use today. Well, there's uh, a good and a bad. Things like yeah. love, forgiveness. Uh, a big one that we all need a little uh, help on is fucking repentance like if you do somebody wrong like look like again like we're talking about you got to come clean or it's just going to burn you up inside so mm-hmm. cancel culture oh my god i have a hard enough time just you know being friends with my family you, you know and even in quarantine when you kind of reevaluate current relationships and whether you feel as though you're being uplifted by your friends or you know what um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a loner any, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I cancel myself, from, you know, enough, you know, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't, it, whatever we're, it's going to have to, I don't think as the community, no, I don't think that we should be painting broad strokes because that to me sounds like the Bush presidency. Well, it's yeah, just, it's, start, yeah, it's you're either with us or against us. It's like, no, no. There's you gray know, area. Again, there's going to be some gray area. Friends of mine that have children mm-hmm. who have been, you know, victims of maybe sexual abuse or something, um, they're going to have a totally different view. And I absolutely support, you know, that, you know, but mm-hmm. God, the thought of me never watching bullets over Broadway or I, I've even recently become obsessed with interiors. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that's just weird about, the doc you know and it was also like that britney spears doc is i her again i read what everyone was saying you know which is generally i won't watch something when it first comes out because i'm so into social media that you're just kind of like smothered with everyone's opinion and i remember there was just all this i believe dylan or hashtag i believe dylan and i'm like what is this all about or the whole Oh my God, Brittany, we've got to save her. And I'm like, what? I was like, Brittany was a mess, y'all. Brittany needed saving. So like, mm-hmm. what are we now saving her from? And Brittany is not, as a woman in the music industry, or like we know with the Me Too mo- mo- movement, all these women that, let's say, worked for Harvey Weinstein. Girl, women have been treated horribly. And they were finally horribly. putting a light on it. Yeah. I'm like I say, I'm from Louisiana and her dad is obviously a good old boy. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would believe he would have money buried in the yard, under the house, <laughs> under the dog. Yeah, I bet. I don't, I, I'm sh- the court also, it sounds like they're all getting just rich off of her, but there still sounds like there is just shitloads. So I don't feel like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they'll wind up on American greed and they'll get them, but I'm more worried about 
Britney. Yeah. You know, and how is she doing? You know, how is she actually yeah. doing? You know, that's that's the whole question yeah. here is, 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 you know, and if this girl, does she want to perform? Let her perform. Let her just do I what think, she yeah. wants to do, you know, like, in, yeah. or I, if she, I, yeah. I wish she would scale it all down. And I always said, even back in the 90s, I never was that into her. You know, because I didn't really like that Max Martin sound. Uh, you know, oh, I didn't, see, and I, I didn't I, like that. I lived for it. <laughs> like that was well, like, but see, yeah. I was, I was twenty. I know, and I was twenty years before. But I loved all that sound in the eighties. This was kind of like a comeback of the synthesizer. So I loved that. Like, look, when Rihanna came out with "Only Girl in the World," and then mm-hmm. it hit that chorus, "Want You to Bow." Bop, bop, bop. Ah, that sound. I was just like, ooh, this is an 80s jam. And I love second Uh half Britney. Uh, The stuff Britney did, like the Gimme More and the Blackout. uh, I love, I thought, wow, her songs are getting better and better. She's great. But here's, and I always put this out there I just want Britney to get a band that is like Sly and the Family Stone, like a, like a electric keyboard, a bass player, a guitar player and a drummer. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get a mic stand and I just want her to do her songs, revamp them for like a rock, a little rock band and just go back to singing, you know, yeah. and just sing and see how you can sing them different because like um, a Debbie Harry or Madonna, even though Madonna's, you know, Madonna, I always feel like she's the one rule that, nah, no, doesn't, doesn't, no, no, <laughs> like, no, I, no, I don't think anything applies to Madonna because I think Madonna's, I, listen, I have not listened to a Madonna album since Confessions on the Dance Floor and I'm, I don't, is, I haven't liked any of the MDM. I, I don't, I just, I could, I don't like it, whatever. I'm not going to listen to it. Sit with um, you and that, but anyways. <laughs> yeah um but you have to when you're 25 a song that you're singing when you're 19 mm-hmm. you know what i mean she for it's like her baby one more time is madonna's like a virgin it's like girl you know and also like debbie uh i'm trying to think of a a young a, you know there's there's some you know songs that just maybe aren't as appropriate to sing anymore when you're younger you have to just reinvent them so I've always wanted Britney to cover Grace Jones' Nipple to the Bottle, you know, because it's uh-huh. just such a, I just think if she had do- tried a different style, like a funkier pop style, mm-hmm. it, she could be really, really magnificent again. And well, the again, old Britney vocals, to- if you listen to old Britney vocals from when she was like in, you know, Mickey Mouse Club and everything, she had a husky voice that rivaled Christina. Yeah, start. And then, yeah, yeah, and then they went. They went two different directions, and she just went this pop baby doll. They put that effect. Yeah, Yeah. they put that effect on her. And and I I miss I miss the fun Britney. You know, like that blackout was just you know blackout's her pinnacle album. That's like the best one that she has. Give me more and all that. But you know, I do still appreciate like a toxic. You know, throw that in there for good Uh, measure. Toxic is my jam. I've used it literally since the Nelly Olson's toxic has always made its way in a Back Connie in. show. So I have a question yeah. there. So when did Connie make her way into the nightclub sphere? And when did she make it into the drag shows? When did that start happening? That really only started happening in like 2011, 2012. And even that, again, that what people say, oh, you're a legend, you're a legend. It's like, no, I'm just old i'm i'm you know i can be you know john can be uh you know somewhat of a legend in that you know i'm just an old gay guy that's been around and even watching that pride doc i'm like oh my god i know all these people and it's like oh i'm still and i'm still performing in the basement of a mexican restaurant i'm doing good yes um but no i but i really but i really am which gets to the point of uh this drag world thing um like I said, the Nellie Olsons, they wrote for me. And, you know, after being in LA for my first 10 years, I was able to kind of eke out a presence in show business, you know, where at least some people knew me, casting directors or whoever. Mm-hmm. So I usually would just wind up, if I could just get one credit a year, you know, to keep that resume building. But 
after you 10 keep years, that sag it really just kind of, coming. <laughs> like, no, 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 uh, no. I never worked. I never, ever worked enough for SAG insurance, except when I did Legally Blonde and that uh, again, because of the residuals, because it was mm-hmm. such a big hit that so like a year and a half, I have been uninsured my entire life. I still can't afford insurance. You know, geez, it's just terrible. Yeah, it is okay. terrible. But I mean, what do you expect? We don't. Our country it's, doesn't it, take care of independent. The pandemic unemployment, listen, uh, how dare them try and recall Gavin Newsom? Like he <laughs> saved artists' ass totally. with that. That is the only way I could have survived during the yeah. pandemic. I literally was, you know, that was just like, what is going to happen now? And, you know, around July, mm-hmm. from March to July. And then finally, like there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm luckily I'm coming out you know, better for it, you know, somewhat. I'm, yeah. I'm not good. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I still ain't good, but you know, it's coming back over. So let's talk about legally blonde a little bit. So you guys like iconic, you know, moment in legally blonde and it's coming back on its 20th anniversary this year. And so, yeah, this summer. Yeah. So how did, um, did you, did you feel that that line had the gravitas <laughs> that, that, Oh yeah. That it has lived with after this. I mean, it's it's weird thinking of it now because it's been said so much, you know, and it's snap works every time you say it, I'm not doing it. Well now people, people, (laughs) people get it. But when, you know, like when I first got the sides for the audition and read that line, bend and snap made no sense. You know what I mean? You didn't know Mm -hmm. what that was. So and I didn't really know what the writer, I didn't know if it was an actual thing, if it was a move that I wasn't aware of. But I remember going into the audition. Um, and just so you know, speaking of, you know, what I was talking about with that kind of like 10 year narrow span of being new blood in Hollywood from New York. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, "Ooh, bring him funny. Nellie Olson's funny. Oh, my God. These guys are brilliant. Bring this person in. Um um, the same casting director that cast uh, Nick and Nora did Legally Blonde, Joseph Middleton. He also did like Bring It On. Every every film that you grew up on as a kid that you freaking loved was American Pie, all cast by Joseph Middleton. He was like the biggest casting director in town. He, and he loved the Nellie Olsons, you know. Um, so he was always at shows. And that, you know, I have to, you know, for all the aspiring you know, actors out there, just don't sit around and wait for the phone. You've got to find some way to get on a local stage. And LA was always easier to get a show up on a an available stage than it is in New York, let me tell you. So performers, you know, should, you know, and kind of even back to the create your own. drag world yeah. thing. Yes, that kind of all goes into that. You have to create it so that you're visible you know, because I never had an agent or no one ever came up to a show and said, I am so impressed. I want to manage you. I have big goal, you know, Mm -hmm. that I, I always wanted that to happen, but you, at some point you just realized like, you can't, it was like being in debt and going, but if I just book that one commercial, I'll be able to write this 30,000 babe, that commercial never came. So dreaming is free and hope is, you know, hope does Mm -hmm. float. And it'll get you through, but you know, you have to create. And that was the hardest thing for me to figure out is how am I, cause I just wanted to perform. I didn't care what it was. You know, I just wanted to get out there and, you know, uh, two of the Nellie Olsons lived in LA. The girl lived in New York. We just mm-hmm. weren't creating. And also South park by the, t- by the time the Nellies were kind of our first round where we were kind of petering out, um, we were then getting compared to, oh, they're jumping on the South. And it's like, girl, we were not on the South. We were already that's, doing that. That's <laughs> like, what we were already doing. But, but even those guys that created South Park, that's what was going on in comedy back then. Like underground comedy is mm-hmm. it was real. It was as, so yeah, I would say we were most like South Park where you're going, oh my God, did they just say, oh my god and then you're laughing and you're like that is such a brilliant incisive you know piece of comedy about the state of the world today um so yeah legally blonde bend and snap 
uh, I remember coming in there and just doing the line. And I remember I kept bending over, posing, bend, mm. and snap. You know, and he told and, me, he said, just come in there, be, be big and gay, and you've got the part. You know, and so that hair is all yours, right? In that, or oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing that was the, the most glorious. It's like, oh, look at this, like, little piece of New York in the <laughs> it, you know, in, in New England. That's really what it was. It was like, you know, this piece of California in New England because you look just so sun kissed and the hair is just laid. Well, I had know? those puka, I had those puka shells on, so really, uh-huh. it's it's the it was the feathered hair, which. This was, no, this was 2001. It's weird because, you know, when I was in New York, I coming from the South, you know, my mother was all about, you know, you, you did not have long hair that was feminine or hippie-ish. And I always wanted to grow my hair out. So I always kind of had long hair in New York. And uh, again, a friend of mine uh, used to cut my hair for free. So whatever he wanted to do. And I think we were, that was also when the Tom Cruise, David Bowie, uh, Mission Impossible, oh, the sh- the male yeah. shag started coming hair. back. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. so yeah. But that, but but like I say, adding those puka shells just gave it that California. Like, oh, this guy, of course, he gives highlights and is a colorist and bleaches hair. You know, totally. Okay. The fun so- thing that I don't know if if that I don't know if people know about Legally Blonde is uh, the first. Uh, is that Tony Basil, uh, Mickey? Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. Yes. Uh, she's she set that whole number, so she was there on set, just kind of oh. like Jennifer. Jennifer, I need you to dance bigger. Wait, okay, so, so that, that was a really that's legendary that you got to work with somebody like that when you were such a big fan of like the '70s and '80s, like like girls. These, these oh, it was yeah, these, it was such women. a surprise. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, the first thing that happened. Um, well, first of all, I hope there's going to be a big article this summer coming out in, uh, New York magazine, which I was interviewed for all about the bended snap. So all these, again, like I said, quarantine, all these stories just kind of like, I started really thinking about them and I showed up like a minute late. And I remember I was pulling into the, when I, you know, cause I was, I didn't know where the, it was in Monrovia. I was like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> and I saw that white, I saw that white van that carries all the background, you know, everyone that's been hired drifting off. And then I find uh, the AD who was there. She was like, oh, well, you may not be in the film now. You know, you're late. And I was Jeez. like, I'm in the film. I'm, I'm going to be in a film called Legally Blonde. And when I met Reese Witherspoon, Reese was, I believe she was going around and she had a blonde joke and, you know, she would, Hey, uh, this is Reese. You know, she's the star of the movie. And she would, you know, be like, Hey, you know, and she would tell this. Oh, I know that was so mean of me to stop right there when she was telling a story about Reese Witherspoon, but I want to make sure you guys come back later this week. So we will see you again on Friday for part two of Love Connie. Until then, make sure you guys follow Love Connie at Real Love Connie on Instagram. You guys can find me at D'Angelo Gogo on Instagram and Twitter. Or you guys can find me at D'Angelo on TikTok. I know, I'm just like those kids. I'm dancing up a storm. Sort of. <laughs> Love you guys. Have a great night. Good night from the lower level. Good night from the lower level.